Hello, I'm Roberto May, the owner of Fontana de Trevi, the Italian restaurant where everyone is treated like the Pope. We are located across from Carnegie Hall, open seven days a week. Ask anyone, we serve the best Caesar salad in town, made tableside every night with our secret ingredient, which, which is Worcester sauce. You can get a table near the street or in the back, so whatever kind of mood you want, we'll set it up for you at our Italian restaurant. That's Fontana de Trevi, located at 151 West 57th Street, directly across from the Russian Tea Room. This is a uh, this is a brand new song. This is a kind of a a premiere, I guess. called uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Justow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Well, 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 117 podcasts and 81 songs brings us finally to the ultimate, most classic, most ambitious song you can make a case for possibly ever written by anyone yes anyone this is scenes from an italian restaurant or as they say in the godfather scenes from an italian restaurant (laughs) (laughs) this is the song that brian wilson would have been listening to and say damn it i have to make one like this i did with sergeant peppers and that before you got pet sounds it is billy joel's true masterpiece that no one can deny that sits as the fourth and final song off a perfect album side. That is the stranger that was released five days after David Juskow became a man on September 29th, 1977. And even though Dave Juskow's manliness is always in question, the staying power of this little operetta as Christopher Bonanos calls it is not, Even though it's Billy Joel's greatest song, it was never released as a single, which makes it an even greater feat that it remains so popular to this day. This song also appears on 2000 Years the Millennial Concert, 12 Gardens Live, Live at Chase Stadium, the film Live at Yankee Stadium, and only the CD release of Greatest Hits Volume 1, meaning it never appeared on the album or cassette. Alon, what's that all about? What the hell's the matter with those people who do that? Yeah, I don't know. I used to listen to the cassette version, so I, I never knew this song. Right. It's not on the cassette version. What the? F- I know it's not a greatest hit, but they've already shown us that they don't seem to care what's a hit or doesn't, and they just put it on. How are you not putting this on Billy Joel's greatest hits? You're an idiot. In 2021, Rolling Stone ranked it the 324th greatest song of all time on their updated 500 greatest songs of all time list. I don't understand why it's not much, much higher. I mean, I know greatest songs of all time, but this should be in the top 10. Not only that, I think Billy only had one or two songs of that entire top 500. So that whole list was ridiculous. Yeah, we got to update that. We got to call Rolling Stone and let them know. Uh, Billy Joel himself has said that this is his favorite song and is quoted as saying, I don't think I could do a show without performing this song. Well, we have been doing since we started this show rankings from one person who lives 
in New York City and one person from Long Island. In 2015, Christopher Bananos from New York Magazine ranked 121 Billy Joel songs. Alon, today is the day. We have seen this guy fluctuate. When we think it's high, he's low. When we think he's low, he's high. Where does he put this ridiculously unbelievable legendary classic scenes from an Italian restaurant that I believe has no sound effects? So we're assuming... (laughs) Well, I'll say he must have this really high up. So I'm going to guess 47. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're joking. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is number one for him. You are correct. Yes, I win $100 for guessing correctly. Pay me up. (laughs) Yep, this is Christopher Bonanno's number one. This could be everybody's number one. Remember, because it was strange, he has number two, Only the Good Die Young, and number three was New York State of Mind. So it is a little, Only the Good Die Young is number two. I don't know. But so you you could have made a, like, where is this guy going to go? But yes, this is his number one song. I've been waiting to tell you. You've been waiting to find out <laughs> for a year. Remember we were on that other show of his, or not his, but the other show, the rankings of albums or something, and and, and he was about to release. I'm like, no, no, don't tell Alon. He doesn't know. Yeah, I was like, earmuffs. Don't tell me. It's not like it was hard to figure out. But yes, this is his number one. He says, he says his longest song. That's now how that's not that's how, how he I ranks would, it. Yeah, that's now I, not how I would start my number one blurb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he says, and yes, his best. A century from now. If you want a wry but ultimately affectionate look at Long Island middle class life circa 1976, you could do a lot worse than Brenda and Eddie, their paintings from Sears and the Parkway Diner. And isn't that the exact right thing to say? Glenn Gamboa, as you know, he already had New York State of Mind at number one, which you can absolutely make a case for. So this is number two, Piano Man being number three. And of course, that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Everything about scenes from an Italian restaurant, the seven minute plus suite from The Stranger. I don't know why they both have to mention that timing (laughs) is epic from the classic piano and saxophone solos to the recognizable characters of Brenda and Eddie to its story within a story structure. However, its success isn't in its grand ambitions, which are certainly more than fulfilled, but in its inspirational, inclusive heart. Everybody has problems, even the king and queen of the prom. How do you survive? You do what you can to get through. Reminiscing about the good times helps. Great blurb for a song like this. And, you know, when I was looking at this blurb, Alon, and and the power of this song and how stressed I was all week that we're not doing it right. We're not giving it justice. We got to do something different. You know, I I was talking to Alon. Alon Alon never gets frustrated or afraid. The the guy never looked. We call him and his wife, my wife. His wife and I call him like the ice king. I mean, the yeah. guy never flusters. <laughs> and uh, I'm a cucumber. Cool as a. You really are. It's uh, it's actually kind of annoying uh, because, as you know, I'm the exact opposite. And I was getting very uptight. I'm like, no, we need to postpone. We need to cancel Billy Joel A to Z until we get this one right. Because there was a factor of saying if people who don't know about this podcast already, if they see, oh, a Billy Joel podcast, they're going to scroll down to this one. You know, so like this one has to be the 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 one, you know, and uh, so I was panicking. I'm like, should we get guests? Should we do this? Should we do that? And Alon's like, nah, let's just keep it the way we've been doing. And I'm like, shut up, you damn son of a bitch. You know, I'm, like, I'm like Phil Ramone. I figure it out in the studio. You're, you're Billy Joel. You're all frantic about your ideas. And I'm like, no, this is how we're going to do it, Billy. You also dance like Phil Ramone, which is really cool. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. 
Glenn Gamboa said the story within a story, which we know it is, which, of course, makes it so brilliant. We already know this is a masterpiece. And you're not even saying that lightly. I mean, anyone who's listening to Billy Joel A to Z doesn't mind us saying it's his masterpiece. And anybody that doesn't like Billy Joel still knows this is a masterpiece of a masterful album. And, 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 and we should be even lucky that Billy Joel continued to write music for another 20 years because he already did his masterpiece. And he's like, well, what do I do now? And the fact that he was able to continue and write hits, not better songs than this, maybe, but still hits and be, you know, just a known guy and other songs that you want to hear that aren't this unbelievable song is a miracle in itself. But then I'm thinking to myself, the story within the story. Well, what's a story within a story, a play within a play? What's a legendary masterpiece from a playwright that wrote us his best masterful work that he's known for 500 years later is a play within a play. Is it David Mamet? Are we talking about David Mamet? Nope. I'm talking about William Shakespeare and Hamlet, which does rhyme with Mamet. So you were close. (laughs) Hamlet, of course, as you know, is a play within a play and his masterpiece. And I guess the fact of the matter is when you are able to structure something as complicated as this and make it your masterpiece, well, then you've won the prize. Yeah, this is seven and a half minutes long and... I guess it's as long. Yeah, it is his longest song, right? Yeah, aside from some live versions of other things. But yeah, this is it. The longest studio song ever written by anyone in the world. <laughs> I don't know about that, but obviously you and I both know now, at least, and maybe I didn't know, is that, again, the Beatles influence. Uh, side two of Abbey Road is the complete influence of this song. But at least you yeah. didn't mention A Day in the Life this time. He mentions I- a different Beatles work. I was so happy <laughs> to hear it was something else because you could make a case that this is from a day in the life, which is clearly a couple of snippets of songs pieced together. Yeah, not only that, but there's a very, very clear moment in this song that's very much like a day in the life. The beginning of the things are OK with me today section when it's just one piano key going do, 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 is the same as in a day in the life when it's right before the woke up, fell out of bed. It's the yep. same thing. It is the same thing. And it's also the same thing both people were trying to do, which is to make a time, a time loop, like of things, you know, time is passing. That's what those chords are for and everything. And Billy's made it very clear that that's what it is. And it's supposed to be like in the movies with the calendars changing. And he even says, you know, like when Mike Myers and Wayne's world goes, (laughs) he does not say that (laughs) he does. I swear to God, I have a clip of him saying it. Oh, that's great. He loves Wayne's World, just like us. Yes. And then the second section of that is when the sax comes in. Which is supposed to represent the time change. And Mike Myers would go. Which is that what's supposed to be, you know, January, February, 1975, 1972, 1970, going back in time. And that seemed like the natural place to go with an instrumental piece. Let's. Let's have something that refers to a change of time. So he absolutely says the best way I can describe it is Mike, the way Mike Myers is. So, yes, it's supposed to be a here's the passage of time, even going back to, a, you know, Bugs Bunny episodes where it's, it's, you know, in 1940 and they go. And yes, the year 2000 which is <laughs> hilarious now. But I just simply can't seem to catch that old wabbit. Come, Melbourne. Let us look far 
Will I eventually catch the rabbit? Come, Melmer. Come past the years. 
if the Beatles hadn't done this. And, you know, if you take a day in the life and then, you know, they go even further again, I always talk about that Woody Allen thing where he makes this one movie and then he kind of perfects it later. If the Beatles hadn't done a day in the life, they might not have been able to string together. They might not have thought about it. Like, why don't we try and string even more than two songs together? You know, why don't we do this? So George Martin comes up with a plan and how to transition and make three songs into one. And then Billy Joel's like, well, I'm going to perfect it. And which he did. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because Billy Joel gives Phil Ramone a lot of credit for figuring out the orchestration to go from one section to the next. But I really don't think that's the case. I think Billy Joel had this song really almost in the can before he even met Phil, Phil Ramone and got him to produce for him. Uh, listen to this timeline here. Okay, so Billy Joel, and uh, he says in one of the Q&As from 1994, a masterclass, that he started with just the Brenda and Eddie section and debuted it at the Philadelphia Academy of Music on April 28th, 1977. He just had that section. Then on May 6th, the live at CW Post College, which is, which is there's a great, great live version, which we should talk about from that show. Yeah. This is, what, nine days later, he has the entire song fleshed out perfectly, like literally as good as the album version. It's all there. It's got the transitions 99% of the way. This is, so that's May of, May 6, 1977. June 1977, a month later, is when Billy Joel plays Carnegie Hall. And again, plays scenes from an Italian restaurant. And that is when he meets Phil Ramone and goes and has uh, lunch with him over at Fontana de Trevi, the Italian restaurant where they talk about him producing. And they don't record this album until a month later in July of 77. So Billy Joel already, by the time Phil Ramone came into the picture, had the song in a form. If you listen to those early versions, it sounds just like the final version. So I, I don't think Phil added too much to it. Maybe more orchestration with some of the extra instruments. Well, the timeline is weird then. What you're saying is he already had the song put together when he was doing Carnegie Hall. But I thought the restaurant in question, uh, Fontana de Trevi, is that how it's pronounced? I don't yeah. want to get Italian, Stein Almad. Is, uh, well, then why was he going there before? Was he playing Carnegie Hall every other day? No, he hadn't played it except for when he, well, he opened there, I think, a few years earlier for somebody else. So he had played it once before, years before. But in 77, these were his first shows there. So maybe he was still aware of the restaurant. Maybe he had eaten there in the past, and that's why it inspired him. Otherwise, his whole story about what restaurant this is about is a little fishy. Yeah, I guess it is. That's really Now, remember, in that live CW Post version, it is a simulcast to the Philadelphia station that we WIOQ and, and WLIR. They're playing on both, which is you know a miracle in that day and age, too. And... As you know, uh, shout out Cristiano's. So people for years thought that was the restaurant. But as he has made it very clear, that's not the restaurant he's talking about. It's a restaurant in Long Island. And he was trying to get out there. Where are you from? I'm from Brooklyn. Woo! You know, like that. So yeah, that was he was the doing that for that. I was driving down Route 42. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. that's our road. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Duff Beer, in association with Laramie Cigarettes, is proud to welcome... Final tap. All right. This morning, we were driving down Route 401. That's only four miles from my house. So we know that's not the restaurant. And we do know for a fact, because he has said, or he said it in 2008, finally, he revealed the restaurant Fontana de Trevi. But now that timeline is very uh, strange. (laughs) 
You know what? I'm reading. I'm reading right here. He says, which he frequented during a series of June 1977 concerts. You're right. The song was already done. It was already done. He finished it a month earlier and he finished it without Phil Ramone. What are we all idiots? We didn't recognize the timeline. We never even thought about it because we wanted that restaurant to be the one which he said it is. But I obviously it's a mash of lots of Italian restaurants. But yeah, we know Billy went to a lot of Italian restaurants with lots of bags of clams. (laughs) <laughs> and uh look and you know after, over the years your memory changes a little bit and i'm sure phil added a ton in the studio that i'm not noticing with my non-musical ear but to me when i hear the cw post version and the carnegie hall version i think man that song was already in the can like, i it agree 100 percent. yeah he, he already had the transitions put together and everything within that version which is very exciting uh, let alone the crowds hearing it for the first time and i really believe but i'm not positive that when he gets to that, the epic ending, which shows you the song is ending and never, you know it, even if you don't know music, it sounds like the crowd's going crazy. Like they were just taken on this ride and they're all in. Yeah. Even though they never heard it before, it instantly connected with them. It's like when you're trying a new joke and the crowd instantly gets it and you're like, whoa, this might be something here. That that CW Post concert gave me chills. Like I don't get chills when I hear this song, but when I heard that version of it, it really did because... It's the first time you could tell that like Billy's so excited about it. The band is excited about it. There's a different kind of energy with the way he's playing it then versus if you see him play it now in 2022. And uh, there's just you could tell he just is like, wow, this is the best thing I've written. And now I get to play it for people. Yeah, and it really is exciting. But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still upset about the timeline that maybe it's not about that restaurant. But he, he does say. Well, see, that doesn't make any sense. Well, he must have been going there before. Like you said, it must have been. I mean, I never heard of that restaurant before this podcast. And I've lived here for a long time. And it's not like Rayos, which we've been talking about, which I finally went to or, you know, Cirque de uh, La Cirque or, you know, the restaurants, Lane's, the ones we've heard of before. I've never heard of that one before. And yet it's also the waiter at that restaurant that said to him while he was sitting there. A bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead, a bottle of white. I mean, it was a waiter that said it that way to him that seemed to inspire. So he must have been going there in 76 and uh, later. And, you know, maybe it was like if you're a comic and you hang around the cellar and you end up going like, oh, I used to go to off the wagon all the time because it was near the comedy cellar. (laughs) You know, maybe he's always wanted to play Carnegie Hall. What musician wouldn't? And he would just hang around the restaurant near Carnegie Hall. Can you imagine someday? Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, you're right. It's like if um, like a comic who's not at the comedy cellar might be eating at Olive Tree for years, the restaurant above the comedy cellar. But then you would look at their timeline of when they started performing at the comedy cellar and you say, hey, wait a second. They never even were at the cellar until 1977. But they said that they wrote this about the Olive Tree in 1976. And you don't realize that they were there unofficially at this That's earlier kind of, time kind of the way michael Riedel told us about going into elaine's i mean yes did he already know about the uh, big shot and the movie manhattan he did but he wanted to be there because he someday he wanted to be a reporter and be in the know about elaine so yeah, i guess it's very similar yeah and also billy joel remember he's married to elizabeth at this time and she likes the, the high life she wants to be wearing fur coats and going out with society people so if this was a fancy restaurant near carnegie hall then she was probably the one taking him to this place. Well, this is at 150 West 57th Street, which I pass every day. And again, still look, I'm like, I don't know where there was a restaurant here, but right across the street was the Russian tea room. 
which still exists and was very just like you're saying for Elizabeth's taste. So I think that area, let alone Carnegie Hall, used to be a lot different. Yeah, that's what it is. I think this is Elizabeth's inspiration and Billy just doesn't want to say it. Why would he? (laughs) Can you blame him? Your brother, your brother stinks. I was always confused about the lyrics of this song because I, I couldn't tell like who with each of the different sections, like what the narration was exactly. I always pictured it as people reminiscing about friends of theirs from high school in the middle section. And that's what the Brenda and Eddie was like. We're at a restaurant. I thought that is what it is. But I don't know, because then they put out that official music video, that animated thing, which I know you don't like. I don't like it. And in that, it's very clear from the animated people that like it's old Brenda and Eddie are at the Italian restaurant reminiscing about when they used to be married. Nope, nope. I never, ever thought of that. that. That's why I hated that video. I mean, that I would never think that. And listening to the song multiple times now, just preparing for this, I would never think it was Brenda and Eddie old reminiscing because that that doesn't work. The best part of the song is that it's like two guys saying, hey, do you remember the king and queen of the prom? Whatever happened to them? That's what makes the song special. It's a story within the story. Yeah, that's what I always thought. And that's what makes sense to me. But I think if if the way this music video is, is correct. Fuck then that music more- video. There's nothing else to say about that. That's why I didn't even bother rewatching that music video. It's awful. Yeah, but it's, it's officially released by Billy Joel. It came out with his vinyl collection. So he must have signed off on like, yeah, that's the story, basically. Uh, no. But basically what it would be then is that here's Brenda and Eddie as older and like meeting up at this restaurant. And then we just go to the middle section, which is like a third party, a third person narrative to just give us the backstory on them. And well, then we go back to them in present time. So it's not them like reminiscing. That. It's it's a third person narrative. Alana, you happy you just ruined scenes from Italian restaurant for everybody in every single way. Yeah. You really did. No, that's horrible. I never want to think about it that way. And I, I can't have that in my head. Well, the There's worst part about it Brendan is if Eddie. that's <laughs> if that's the way that it is, then that means at the end when he's like, I'll meet you anytime you want at our Italian restaurant. Like this is a guy who's his life's going great. He's got a good job. He has a new family, but he's still hanging out with his ex-wife from a few that's years why, ago. That's why it's ridiculous, right? To, come on, stop it. Stop saying that. I almost <laughs> want to cut this out of the podcast. <laughs> You're ruining everybody's good times. Billy Joel's made it very clear it is not Brett and Eddie at that Italian restaurant, whatever that video is. And somebody said, Billy, do you mind if we do a video for this? He's probably just looking at the animation. Hey, this looks great. He didn't sign off on that. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't give a crap. That is not the case, Alon. That's awful that you even brought that up. You should be ashamed of <laughs> Just okay, fine. I retract my statement. Well, you think about it. I mean, that's it, that sucks. We don't want that to be the case. It's got to be two people, ta- uh, the friends of theirs from high schoolers or people that knew him or didn't know him. I mean, yeah, that's not it's not good enough. We, we can't have that. So he's just telling Brett Then it's even sadder. Right. You said like you're saying he's like hanging out with his ex-wife saying, hey, things are great with me now. I mean, it's a I, I, I can't handle it. Yeah, and he's writing this song in 77, and they're reminiscing about 1975, so it's just two years <laughs> earlier. Unless it takes place in the future, which maybe it does, like it's several years into the future, and they're looking back far to 1975. Right, it would have been great. He goes, do you remember the worldwide pandemic that we had? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, he's good. Do you he's remember good. when New York City burned to the ground and we moved <laughs> to Miami? <laughs> Well, that but that would have been previous. Uh, I mean, right. Or you're saying if he referenced 2017 again. Yeah. Or, well, then he would have been a crazy person. Why is he so obsessed with 2017? It all connects between albums. There's just random references to Cold Spring Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. Sting used to do that. He used to bring back songs from other albums sometimes. Anyway, I don't want to get off track today when we're talking about this song. Yeah. 
So we're going to do things a little differently today because, you know, we really want to get into this song and really talk about it, kind of decipher it. And I thought today we would actually listen to the song, which is something we never do. Yeah, we um, usually so, don't even hear these songs at all. We just talk about them, but we've never heard them. Yeah. So we're going to go over it a little piece by piece in like five sections and play it for you guys and us. And, you know, if we get in some sort of trouble, we'll be easily be able to cut them out. So as long as we don't talk over them. Uh, for posterity, at least we'll still have the podcast. So, yeah. So be cool, everyone. Don't rat us out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be cool. All right. So why don't we just start off with the introduction? It's such an amazing setup. And even when, you know, you don't know, and now 50, 40, 50 years later, as everybody kind of gets into this song and talking about it and breaking it into pieces, when you're first listening to it or first hearing it, you get it. You get it. it's like a frame up, you know, or a framing of uh, what I'm about to tell you a story. Yeah, it's like Billy always does so well, like with one or two lines, he instantly brings you to that place, just like at the beginning of Moving Out and so many other songs where like you right away get you picture the story completely. So describing that restaurant yeah, brings and, you there right away. And of course, it's one of the greatest opening line songs in the history of music. <laughs> you know, a bottle of white, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. Unbelievable. Just like to to drag to bring you in at the very opening of a song. Yeah, and so easy to sing. So it's like great for the audience also. They're like, it's it's those are simple words, but they really do the job. Although for me personally, I always forget if he starts with bottle of white or bottle of red. Uh, every time, me too. I always forget it. I will always say a bottle of red, a bottle of white. Because does he switch that around? Yeah, he switches that around in the second verse. So then it goes after the bottle of white and red, because I forget too, because it, it does come up later, uh, that we'll get a table near the street in our old familiar place, you and I face to face. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's him trying the meatballs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> One more meatball hero for me and Bob. <laughs> and then it goes into the second verse, a bottle of red, a bottle of white. It all depends upon your appetite. I do always think that is the first verse sometimes. I wonder, I always wonder, every time I listen to a live version, I'm like, will Billy screw it up? Does he ever screw it up? And I never have heard him screw it up yet, but I feel like he's played it so, so many times. There must have been one time where he was a little bit tipsy and he started off with the bottle of red line. Yeah, right? It's so got to have happened right. once out of hundreds right. of times. Yeah, well, we know he drinks. so He certainly <laughs> likes his bottles. I'll meet you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. And even if he had that one before this whole thing got through like we know it's based on three songs and this is the song this probably would have been a classic song either way because those are great lyrics and great instrumentals and exciting and you know you're going to hear a story about a restaurant and two people hanging out in a restaurant it's like a seinfeld episode <laughs> yeah, that's a funny <laughs> what way if we just talking this? about uh eating at the restaurant <laughs> scenes from monk's restaurant <laughs> <laughs> and then to what we now know, I mean, again, if you're not a musician, you kind of get if you don't know about music, when they start the saxophone and what we just talked about as the transition time change, we understand. But hearing him doing the research and you and I listening to Billy talk about what it's supposed to be and the calendar changing, I never thought about it before. But I knew it anyway. That's how powerful it is. Yeah. And gosh, that sax solo, like Richie Kanata in this song really carries the song in so many ways. Like the 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 horns in this song, the sax are so perfect. Everything I, is as is exactly what it needs to be in those solos. Yeah. And here's a great example of where a sax solo is necessary. <laughs> like, you know, I can't stand a gratuitous sax solo, and they used to have them all in the 80s. But this works for so many reasons, especially when we get to the next place and you're talking about Dixieland and all that kind of stuff. It's just uh, and again, as a transitional instrument to tell a story, seems like a saxophone's actually necessary because I don't Well, in the version we heard. Was there a sax in the CW Post one? The sax is there. The What's missing and the sax solo sounds just like it does in the studio version. So Richie had already figured it out. Mm. The strings underneath it, that orchestration, that definitely wasn't there. So that was definitely Phil Ramone in the studio saying, like, let's beef this up and really. Oh, you have to make this epic. You he's probably sitting there when he's watching him at Carnegie Hall when they have that talk going like this. This song needs to be more epic. It needs to be more like a movie, like a Titanic you know, not as not a disaster of talking about <laughs> the, the movie Titanic and how, you know, epic it is. This song needs to be three hours and 30 minutes long and tells a story and then wins an Oscar. And here's how I suggest we do it. Yeah. And also it's got the accordion to make well, you feel like you're at a restaurant, which he does a bunch. Right. It's uh, again, I nobody likes the accordion, except ironically in the Down Easter Alexa, which does work. But Billy Joel has found two uses where the accordion is actually necessary and helps the song. It's insane that he right. that, that's how good he is. He found two songs where if you don't have the accordion, the song doesn't work. And c'était toi. 
Yes. Any any cafe or restaurant song, he's like, get the accordion out. Well, it's true. It does make you think you're in France or Italy. There is something about that stupid accordion. You could picture somebody doing it at a restaurant, or maybe it's just all the cartoons or movies we've seen in the past. Yeah, I could picture like Bugs Bunny doing it. And that's it exactly. That's the first thing I thought of. I don't know why. <laughs> it sets this, it sets a scene. It sets a mood that we know from the movies. Yeah. How's the Italian food in this restaurant? Good. Try the veal. It's the best in the city. I'll have it. Okay, so let's go to next the next section. piece. At the 144 mark, uh, you might remember. Now, I think they cut out, and I'm not positive, um, stuff about the meatball heroes and the Chinese food, but I'm not positive. So I'm not yeah, me sure neither. which version I this is. Yeah. Uh, things are okay. And now, please welcome the world premiere of Things Are Okay in Oyster Bay. It would be hilarious if someone made a super cut where instead of this section, they just stick back in the Oyster Bay part. All right, I'll do it. Do it. <laughs> it's okay with me these days. Got a good job. Got a good office. I got a new wife. Got a new life. And the family is fine. Oh, lost touch long ago. You lost weight. I did not know. You remember I looked so nice after so much time. There's the second portion of the song. The things are things are okay in Oyster Bay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so effective because you can't, you know, when you go to a restaurant with an old friend, these are the conversations you have. It's brilliant. It's so you lost weight. You look great. (laughs) It is something. So what's going on? I mean, I can just uh, phrase my friend Lee Maracas whenever uh, he doesn't know what to say. I feel like he's got Tourette's. He's like, so what's going on, man? He'll say that at the basketball game if we're not talking. So how you doing, man? And and he's just a regular business guy that meets with clients all the time. And I think he's just come out of that. And he's just become like autistic about it or something. And he can't stop. Like if there's a silence, he can't take it. What are you going to say? Well, things are okay with me these days. Got a new job. Got a new wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were uh, divorced. Oh, yes. I told you that was my first wife when I married her. That never happened to her. <laughs> Time passing, going backwards. I like so, this section a lot. I love, I love the energy of it. I love the, the speed. You always think of Brendan Eddy as the fast part, but this, this part's also fast and exciting and fun to sing. Well, I got a question for you. Do you understand? Because I was looking it up and I can't figure out why did he choose Dixieland jazz as the way to go for hanging out in the 60s at a Long I place in Long Island. I know he's talking about playing a song about New Orleans, but is that what was all on the jukebox? Well, I always then? pictured that when he says play a song about New Orleans, I'm thinking back when was Billy kind of at of this age, it probably might have been House of the Rising Sun, you know, a song that you would pop in the jukebox at the bar that's about a place in New Orleans. 
that not that it sounds anything like Dixieland, but that maybe if, if when Billy was a teenager in the mid 60s, that would have been a cool song to be playing on the jukebox. But why go Dixieland? I think that this is a Beatles influence here because the Beatles love to do like liberal use of horns. They love using horns and things. Mm. And so I think, you know, there are some songs that they have, like even that little section of Yellow Submarine when they say, and the band begins to play. And it's like, it's like a little thing like that, even like the Beatles loved having that. That's the George Martin influence, I think. And so I think Billy just felt like it belonged. Why not have a real jazzy thing that's a good explanation because i always always wonder i mean if you're talking about the 60s i was surprised you didn't pull kind of a little bit of innocent man stuff and you know somehow transition something like that and i also like the fact that he says well let's just go the lyrics in general uh but I, I i like when he says put put a dime in the box probably want he probably was first written as jukebox but it doesn't fit and yet we all know of course nowadays you wouldn't know but uh, it's it's effective and kind of great. It, it's actually better just not using juke. I thought it was about the box, that cable network that used to play on-demand music videos <laughs> you could call in. <laughs> did you really? No. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe you did because, I, you know, you don't know. But uh, so uh, I'll tell you something, just a really quick uh, backstory in this not knowing Billy Joel. It's 1982 for me. I'm in college. I don't know. I don't think the Nylon Curtains come out yet. And somebody is, I'm in my dorm room. We must have been listening to the radio and scenes from an Italian restaurant is on. And there's a, there's a couple of people in my room because I was the, uh, the, the, the president of the dorm. Uh, <laughs> and I all, and although I never had sex before. Anyway, uh, the, uh, so there, there's, there's a bunch of girls in my room and uh, we're all having a good time. And I remember there was this girl, Elise. I'll never forget her because she was, really pretty but long island pretty you know like i mean when i'm picturing her in my head right now and i haven't seen her since 1982 but she was a doll and really funny i can picture her absolutely being somebody's mom i met in long island she actually looked like my friend alan klein's mom i'm sure she just makes the perfect mom because she looked just like that but now she's just you know 18 Mm -hmm. and she had the accent and she was really funny and I guess we'll listen to the song. I'll never forget this. I didn't know the song. I did not know this song. I must have heard it. I just didn't know it. And then she just goes, and the song is transitioning, and she just goes, things are okay with me these days. Got a new job. Got a new office. You know, and I'm like, what? you know this song? And this is five <laughs> years after it came out. And, and she's from Long Island, granted. But I'm like, wait, you know this? How did you know that it went like that? I was like fascinated that she knew and she just started singing it because you can't help yourself when you're at a bar and not just go into singing it yourself. Things are okay with me these days. And it, and it just I always, her face is in my head when this happens. And she was like doing a little dance to it. It was so funny and so cool. And I was like, how do you know this song? And that was my first experience to this song where I'm like, wait a minute, it transitions to this. I don't understand, you know, and then the nylon curtain came out and then I'm like getting into Billy Joel and then I'm going backwards and I'm like, wait a minute, this song is blowing my mind. And then I remember, you know, listening to it on the radio in its entirety and being like, this song is blowing my mind. I don't understand it. And it really took until this day. I mean, I I understand it. I get it. But learning more about it 
and learning more about the research and how it was compiled together is really even better than I could possibly imagine that this song is as epic as it was in my mind to Billy Joel and his band and his manager. Yeah, it does feel great that Billy Joel thinks it's his number one song, too. It's not just like, well, the fans like it, but I don't know. It's just some crap we threw together. Like they put a lot into this and they really like it. It's the real deal. Things are okay with me these days. Got a good job. Got a good office. Got a new wife. Got a new life. And the family's fine. That's so much packed into a small area. And you, you've you gotten everything out of the way in 30 seconds. It's like, a, really, you know, when you go to dinner with somebody, what do you talk about? How do you open a conversation with people? And he just covered what could have been discussed in an hour of being together and seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. Oh, we lost touch along ago. You lost weight. I did not know you could ever look so nice after so much time, which is a, a wonderful lyric. But in one verse, he packed in an hour, maybe an hour and a half conversation, sitting down and having a leisurely meal. You yeah, know? it's like all, all they, they take, take care of all the current stuff. And then it's like the reminiscing, which everyone does. It's like, how are you doing right now? And then, hey, remember that crazy stuff at the Village Green? It is an unbelievable dinner conversation packed into uh, a, a, a one minute little song. Right. Do you remember those days hanging out at the Village Green engineer boots? I'm not exactly sure what that is. It's boots that engineers wear. Uh, apparently. Uh, leather jackets and tight blue jeans. It's a lot like in Keeping the Faith, how he would m- name a lot of these things from this era also. Diddy Bop oh, right. shades and uh, every little reference. He loves talking about like the clothes of that era. Oh, you drop a dime in the box, play a song about New Orleans, cold beer, hot lights, my sweet romantic teenage nights. I mean, you know, and the best part is that when you when you do reminisce with somebody, and that's why this is so brilliant, you are thinking about all the good times and you're not thinking about that. It probably wasn't as romantic as you think, like probably the cold beer and hot lights wasn't as great as you think it was. But in your mind, you're like, oh, my God, remember. And the person next to you could be like, yeah, I remember that was the worst time of my life. Don't you remember? I got divorced and I was yeah. going through this horrible thing or whatever. You know, I was flunking out of school. The beer wasn't cold. It was room temp. Right, exactly. Remember the refrigerator went out that night. You're talking about (laughs) like that was the worst night. Those hot lights. I burned my hand on it. I was trying to change the bulb. (laughs) So but that's what makes it great, too. Everybody reminisces. You tell a story. Remember what happened to me the other day? And I don't don't know whether we talked about some Billy Joel. I went to Rayos with the woman who books the comedy seller. She's telling a story. She's telling a story about Sarah Silverman. And I'm like, I you're telling it wrong. I was there. She goes, you weren't there. <laughs> Remember? I told, I'm like, what? I was going insane. I'm like, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. There were three people in that story. You're leaving me out. So it's great where you are telling a story that you remember, and maybe the person doesn't remember it so well, uh, but you're, but this is what people do. They reminisce about the good times because that's how you live through life. That's how you get through life, which as we know, coming up as if this song could get any better, life gets real to these people that they're about to discuss. Yeah. Now, coincidentally, when he's reminiscing about the village green, the kinks have a song called village green, which is all about remembering hanging out at the village green, the entire song. Yeah. So when was that written? 
that's from 1968 from the the Village Green Preservation Society album. How interesting! Now, as you know, we spoke about the Village Green in a trivia question about something. I don't remember the song. I think it was in the R's, where I told you there actually is a Village Green. Oh, it was Rosalinda's eyes because it was Billy Joel's mom's birthday in that pizza place that's on the Village Green, Long Island. Yeah. Right. So we didn't know there was a real village green. So that's the thing. That's why it's crazy that. But um, but we're pretty sure Billy Joel definitely knew about the kinks. So maybe yeah. he got because there's no way they were hanging out at that strip mall. No, <laughs> the like, kinks are talking about the village green somewhere in London. Right. Um, I guess it's just a common thing, but it's kind of funny that they both had a reminiscing song that mentions that. Yeah. But if you if you get a taste, if you want to go online and find this pizza place that was giving out free pizza for uh uh, uh, Billy Joel's mom's hundredth birthday. If you think that for some reason Billy Joel had a good time at this little strip mall, you would de- definitely be sadly mistaken. Or then he's just. Re- but you could also look at it like we're talking about that he's just remembering a time that probably didn't exist. Yeah, but that's the thing when you're in the suburbs, hanging out at those strip malls, and I don't know whether. And I'm sorry, my voice cracked. But hanging out at those stri- those kind of places were your best times like uh like in the movie say anything where you're all hanging out at the the sippins where whatever it is at the uh on a saturday night you know you're just hanging out uh having a slurpee at the 7-eleven or a beer on the street just to hanging out on the sidewalk you guys know so much about women how come you here at like a gas and sip on a saturday night completely alone drinking beers no women anywhere by choice man that's yeah, right man. it's a conscious choice it's a choice man choosing to be here i want to be here you do reminisce about those being good times, even though they might not have been. But everybody had a hangout. Sure. And even if it's in a parking lot or a park, you remember it differently than it actually is. Once you learn that, geez, you know, that wasn't that great a place to hang out. You know, once you learn like, well, actually, this is much more fun in Manhattan here or whatever. But yeah, but all that mattered was the people that you were with. So exactly. it didn't matter that you're at some strip mall called the Village Green. You were there with your high school friends and having fun and weren't with your parents. So it was cool. Yeah. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the smell. That treat. The kinds of meat and meatballs. You've got the veal, beef, and pork. Ah, good. But you gotta have the pork. Pork. Oh, that's, that's, that's the flavor. I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Let's continue on to the big piano solo that's coming up. Okay. So that piano solo, uh, as they, they, they've, uh, we've found out not being musicians, is again it's it's clearly transition music and that's clearly the kind of stuff that I, I, apparently billy not phil ramon said here's how i'm going to tie uh things are okay in oyster bay to the ballad of brenda and eddie which again is you know an amazing piece of musician tree or <laughs> i don't know how you word it to transition the song one song to the other and it's a great piece and like now we're gonna let's picture i could picture that's why this video sucks that cartoon one, I can picture the couple talking, whoever they are, they're talking, they've gone through everything. And then like, and and the music has stopped and then the camera pans out. And then this song starts a transition and it's going to start to tell this story about yes, who they're talking about, 
but I can picture the video being, you know, going back and can maybe go into black and white, you know, or a, a yeah, transition, a, a fade th- th- out. This piano reminds me, like, like you already said, the Wayne's World, it has that kind of noise to it, right? And then also like Wizard of Oz, that kind of reminds me of almost like black and white to color. Excellent. Something about the transition of that when she gets to Oz all of a sudden, like that whole excellent theme. transition. Right. Beautiful. That w- amazing 1939 idea where, you know, most movies were in black and white and we're like, nah, nah, this has got to be in color. And w- w- let's we got to go all in on color when she gets to Oz. I mean, if The Wizard of Oz wasn't great the way it was then that was I mean, it still would have been probably good in black and white, but that transition is unbelievable when she opens that door and it's all in color. And remember, I don't you're too young, but they used to have to tell you when they would air it on, you know, network TV. Uh, listen, the first part is in black and white and then it goes to color. So you didn't fix your sets like an idiot, like the end of the Sopranos where you're checking the cable wire. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. No, that no, no. Because <laughs> uh, we're so stupid, <laughs> like we didn't know the difference. But yeah, you're so the excellent, excellent uh, analogy, metaphor, analogy, compar- comparison. No analogy, simile. Uh, so they say Billy Joel uses alternating al- alternating octaves in the bass and plays a descending melody in the right hand, and that's how the transition is put together to get from one little snippet of song to the other. Billy Joel's masterpiece Scenes from an Italian Restaurant will continue next week on Billy Joel A to Z. Next week, the explosive conclusion of Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. We have bottles of red, white, and rosé. You have champagne. Did you hear what happened to Brenda and Eddie? They broke up. Shut your face. Uh, waiter, can I get a table by the street? Yeah, how about we settle this down at the Parkway Diner? You know the room where we have the waterbed? We just got some amazing paintings from Sears. Really? That's seeds from an Italian restaurant. Only on Billy Joel A to Z.